This is episode 80 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Evan Archard. Evan began his career in Hollywood as a songwriter and film composer. His work in music for films eventually led to screenwriting, first for CBS Television, then Columbia, and MGM Motion Pictures. Evan's latest screenplay, The Man Behind the Music, tells the story of Henry Louis, the unsung giant among the music producers slash engineers of the rock and roll era. The documentary has gained acclaim in film festivals around the world. The genesis of his book, Anna and the Pink Pony, was his family's first Shetland pony. Duke came home to their farm in Oregon to live out his days when he was 31 years old. Evan's daughter began a lifelong love affair with horses, settled on his small, sturdy back. His wee size hid a huge heart. Horses bring magic into the lives of children. Evan hopes a bit of that delight jumps off the page when you read his story. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Evan Archard with me. Hi, Evan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Carly. It is such so my pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. It's really a great honor. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to talk with you. And my first question always is, how have horses touched your life? Well, you know, that's an interesting you ask that question, because I've been thinking a lot about how horses have touched my life over the past few months because of things we'll talk about later in this interview. But, you know, horses, horses are really good souls. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the history of the world, it would have been a completely different place without the horse. I mean, before 1900, horses were literally everything. They were agriculture, they were communication, they were warfare, they were transportation, they were agriculture. And, you know, there's no other animal on the face of the earth that can do all of the things that a horse can do for the human race. And there's no reason they should do any of them. I mean, they're thousand pound animals. They could simply say, I'm not doing that. I don't want any part of that. I mean, try to get a zebra to let you on its back. I mean, there's the perfect example. It's the closest thing genetically to the horse, and they want no part of it. So, I mean, horses are unique. They're wonderful. They're loving. It, with the possible exception of dogs, they're, you know, mankind's greatest partner. And you couldn't be more correct about that. I mean, they they basically helped us shape the culture that we now live in as we know it, and they and they did it through partnership. And I understand that that you are a horse dad. Like you have a daughter who absolutely <laughs> loves horses. So so did horses come into your life through your daughter or were horses part of your life and then your daughter fell in love with them alongside of you? How did how did that work? I had a 
20 plus year marriage to a really wonderful woman. We are no longer together, but we're still very good friends. And uh, her name is Nancy and uh, she's Tessa's mom. And horses came into my life, really. I mean, I was peripherally around them before we were married, but Nancy was a great horsewoman. And uh, she introduced me to really the, the joys of horse ownership, horse breeding, horse showing, um, horse care. Uh, and she, she showed me how, you know, like I said, how important horses are in our culture and our lives. And, you know, Tessa, my daughter, has been riding since she was like two and a half, you know, um, <laughs> her. And this, the book that we're talking about today actually is uh, the true story of, well, mostly true. I mean, it's, it, we've kind of used some poetic license here, but it's the mostly true story of the search for her first pony, whose name was Duke. And he was like a nine hand Shetland pony, just a wee little guy, but just the biggest heart. I mean, he was just the sweetest little, and he lived to be 41 years old. You know? oh, that's wonderful. So talk to us about this first book that you have. And the inspiration behind it, because there's a pink pony involved, which all little girls kind of fantasize <laughs> well, about. <laughs> it's called Anna and the Pink Pony. And uh, Anna has st stood in for my daughter in this book. You know, when we were looking for Tessa's, for a pony for Tessa, we looked high and low. And Tessa's favorite story at the time, a story that I would read to her every night, was called Plugly. And Plugly was the story of a pink horse that nobody wanted to ride because he didn't look like any of the other horses. But then the horse show keeps getting closer and closer. And one of the little girls in this book, her horse gets lame. There's no one else to ride in the horse show but Plugly. She rides Plugly. They win the blue ribbon. And everybody goes home happy. And Tessa just loved the story. And so, of course, when it came time to find a pony for her, uh, she wanted nothing to do with anything but a pink pony. And so I tried to tell her, I said, Tessa, you know, there, you know, that the story is wonderful, but in the real world, there aren't any pink ponies. And she would look at me and go, oh, right, sure, daddy, right, whatever, you know. And so we started looking for this horse, this pony. And eventually we found Duke. And so we bring Duke home. Uh, it's in one of those, I don't know where you live, Carly, but in Southern Oregon, we really get these magical autumn nights mm. where it truly is like America the Beautiful. There's Purple Mountains, majesties in the background. It's just that lavender, lush, you know, wonderful glow in the early evening. And so we bring Duke home, we back him out of the trailer, and he's a red roan. He's got lots of white hairs in his coat. And when that little red roan, little pony body came backing out of the trailer, he was pink. And I'm not, I don't mean just a little pink. He was pink. Oh, my goodness. And so Tessa looked at me and she says, see, Daddy, there really are pink ponies. And at that moment, I knew I had to write this book. I mean, I didn't know the whole panoply of what the book would be. But mm -hmm. I knew that this, this magic that happened that moment where a little girl's dream came true. It was just too sweet not to try to 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 write it, and so again, I mean, I've been thinking about this for my daughter's twenty three, so I've been thinking about it for twenty years, right? <laughs> I've done a lot of other things in the meantime, but I somehow never got around to writing this story. And so when the pandemic hit, I thought I don't have a lot to do now. Now is you know it's like now or never, and so I just sat down and I wrote the story. I was very blessed, very blessed 
defined Hannah Stern. And I want a big shout out to her because she's the illustrator of this book. And she did an amazing job. I mean, I could not have wished to find uh, a better illustrator for this book. And I found her through Lori List, our uh, mutual friend. Yes, and Lori introduced us to each other, and now yeah. here you are on the show. And it's just the we and we were talking before we even got started. The horse community kind of pulls us all together in this really interesting way, and and then and we meet each other. And it sounds like you had kind of like a not only was the story in itself, the inception of the story, magical, but you also met a magical illustrator who helped bring bring life to your story. So let's talk about. Your partnership with her. I had talked to some people locally, um, artists that I knew, and uh, for whatever reason, it just never seemed the, like the right fit. And then one day, I was talking to my friend Murray, who also whose book is beautifully illustrated by someone else, but um, it is also beautifully illustrated. So she uh, and Hannah uh, were friends through mounted archery, and I don't know if you know anyone in the world of mounted archery. But you talk about a community. It's a pretty small community because not that many people. I mean, a lot of people ride horses. A lot of people do eventing. A lot of people do, you know, barrel racing or whatever the, the, the part of horses that you love. But mounted archery is a fairly small community because, first of all, it takes a lot of skill. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Lori and Hannah were friends from mounted archery. But, but Hannah lives in Washington and I live in Oregon. And so Lori connected us uh, through email and uh, uh, through uh, phone calls. So we start talking and I sent a manuscript and she just absolutely loved it. And she has a degree in fine art. I remember exactly where, what university she went to, but she's a very you know trained artist, but she's also a huge horse lover. And she'd always wanted to write a children's horse book. I mean, illustrated children's horse book. I think it's kind of, probably important for your audience to, to understand kind of the dynamics of starting to work with an illustrator. And I think the most important thing I could say to anyone out there looking for an illustrator is make an agreement with them whereby they provide you with some sample work before you commit to actually doing the whole book. You know, have them send you, a, pay them. I mean, don't ask it for free. I mean, but be willing to pay pay them for you know, a few sample illustrations so that you have a sense of what this is really going to look like, you know. And Hannah, you know, sent me some samples and I was like just blown away. I mean, it was like the perfect fit and I knew it immediately. So I would say, you know, in the in the search for an illustrator, don't settle. I mean, you I'm sure you know talented artists. If you're a writer, you, you work, you know, in your community or in your circle of friends. But all talented artists aren't necessarily great illustrators of horse books just don't give up search for the right one and you'll find it and it'll make all the difference in the world oh and that's great advice i mean because this person is putting the visuals to your story and and i love that you mentioned that you met your illustrator through another horse book author which is fantastic because that's like that's like authors unite and that's often how we find our community is by working together. So, you know, that partnership just makes me so happy to hear. So you, you, you met the illustrator, you guys got along well, she shared some sample artwork with you. And then you were like, okay, we're diving into this together. And you had already written the story fully, right? When you started working with your illustrator? Yes, the story was written. It wasn't yet professionally edited, but the story is like, I would say 90% done. And so I went through the story and I uh, 
picked out about, I think there's 25 or 26 illustrations in the book. And I indicated in the manuscript where I thought there should be pictures and kind of a little bit of direction as to what the picture should be in that particular place in the book. Mm -hmm. And then she, you know, once we agreed to work together, she just started, you know, uh, doing storyboards and she did sketches. She first did black and white sketches of all the, all the pictures and sent those to me. And we talked, there was a few that uh, needed a little, you know, a little tweaking here and there. I mean, they were all great, but it's just, you know, as everyone has a different vision of their work. And so mm -hmm. a couple of them weren't quite exactly what I wanted and they weren't major changes really. But she did uh, make those changes, and then she went to the paintings or watercolors. The originals are watercolors, and uh, they were just great. I mean, and people people love the book, but they equally love the illustrations. And you have the book right there with you too. You can you can hold it over your shoulder, but you can also hold up the cover so people can see the lovely illustration. There it is. And I, and I think what you're speaking to, like a couple things here is like one, you said, you know, you have, you had communication with your illustrator to help highlight the story the way you wanted, but you also said, you know, not everyone's going to be the perfect fit. You found someone to illustrate your book that also knows horses because that can also be a challenge, right? You find a beautiful illustrator, but if they don't know horses, like the ear movements could be not correct or you know the tack could be not put on the right way so so you found a partnership with a person that knew horses to help you bring your story to life correct absolutely she knows horses equally well as i do and she's got horses of her own and she's been a horse person all her life and and not only does she know horses but she loves horses in the same we resonate in that way too i mean we get it you know we get what horses bring to our lives and to love the lives of children in particular i mean i think that there really is a special connection between horses and children i mean from both sides i mean the, the child senses that this is you know a special um, animal and the horse senses that this is a child and needs special attention and special love and it's just a wonderful dynamic to watch happen i've seen it many many times over the years and you and you captured this message of love in this story, like this story for you is a, is a story of love. And I know that was really important to you to talk about love during this interview. Yeah, I think the message, if, if there is a just a, a simple message in this book, is that horses bring magic to the lives of children. Mm -hmm. And this book is really about, in the, in the bigger sense, it's not just about a, a little girl getting the sort of birthday present of her dreams, but it's about the fact that sometimes in the process of going for your dreams, something magical really happens. And I think that this story captures the fact that, you know, all this girl wanted was a pink pony, but in the end, what she got, what she really got was a pony that she could make pink in the sense that it was a pony that she could put pink ribbons in his mane she could get a pink saddle pad and it didn't matter what color the pony was really mm -hmm. it mattered that it was the right pony for her it was the perfect pony for her mm -hmm. and she was a pony that she could fall in love with and the pony that could love her and so in the end as my friend laurie said it was like it shows that true love is colorblind mm -hmm. you know and it doesn't it didn't matter that the pony wasn't really pink it was pink you know mm -hmm. so um. oh that's it melt my heart that that's so lovely and 
I wanted to mention this too, because you have a really cool background. I mean, you, you are a former Hollywood screenwriter and you're a songwriter and you love music and I love music. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about a little bit about how working in that industry, like helped prepare you to write this book and shift your creativity into a children's book, like songwriting, screenwriting, and now book. I mean, that's, that's an illustrious writing career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that the one thing that Hollywood taught me, if it taught me anything, is that, you know, you just have to keep at it. Mm. That people are going to tell you your work is no good. People are going to tell you that it's all been done before. People are going to tell you that there's too much competition and you should just give up and go get a job as whatever, you know, whatever it might be, something outside the entertainment business. But the, the reality is that not everything has been said before or written before, and there are still great stories to be tell, told. And the main reason that people tell you those things is they want to, you know, you know, keep the competition down so that they can, you know, perhaps succeed, you know, and it's the people that don't give up on their dreams and keep at it that, you know, it's like, I don't remember what golfer it was it might have been Jack Nicholas or it might have been someone else, but someone once said, "You know, the more I practice, the luckier I get." <laughs> and, and it's really true with writing. I mean, the more you keep at it, and the more you you know hone your craft, and the more you become a better writer, you know, a little bit of good fortune is going to come your way at some point. Oh, words of wisdom, my goodness! I, the, I and I think you just like hit the nail on the head with being a creative in general. You just have to keep going and going and going. I think someone I talked to said, you just got to get to that one yes. And if you believe strongly in your your art and your story and the, what you want to tell, like the right pieces always fall into place. Like you find your illustrator, you write the story and there there's magic in just, in just putting that into the world and not ever stopping. And I love that you just shared that. Carly, it's so true. It doesn't matter how many people say no to you. It only matters when, you, when the right person says yes. You can get a hundred no's and they don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. They don't. That's, that's the lesson that Hollywood taught me. Be tough, you know, keep at it. <laughs> that's so great. And, and I think the other thing to say here too, is that art is subjective, right? Like, not everyone is going to love everything, you know, because it's art and it's a creative endeavor. So, you know, it's like touching people, you're touching people just by expressing yourself and, and not, and being unstoppable. And I, I just, I just love that you shared that with us. Thank you so much. Given your history and that you've worked in Hollywood and you kind of, you understand the business of entertainment and being a creative, how did you decide to put your book out into the world? Did you decide to work with a traditional publisher or did you decide to go the independent route? Well, it's interesting. It's a very, it's a, it's a great segue, Carly, because the other lesson that, that Hollywood taught me is that unlike uh, writing a novel or writing a short story or writing a children's book, you know, in Hollywood, when you write a screenplay, you have to let it go because it's, mm. it's primarily a director's medium. And once a director gets a hold of your screenplay, they're going to want to make changes and that's their prerogative. It's their movie. Um, unless you happen to be a writer director, in which case you're doing it all, but that wasn't my experience in, in Hollywood. And so when I decided to write this book and to put, publish this book, it was a very personal story. It's really, like I said, based on a true story of my daughter. And I didn't want it being changed. I mean, I wanted it being changed to the extent that an editor would go through it and suggest language changes or whatever, but I knew what the story wanted, what I wanted the story to be, and I wanted to put it out 
that way. And so I just decided that I was going to publish it myself through Ingram Spark. And I don't know if your listeners or other authors have talked about Ingram Spark. Amazon obviously only sells through Amazon. I mean, you, you publish your book you through Kindle uh, Press and it gets sold on Amazon. But Ingram Spark will take your book and act as your distributor and it'll put it in, make it available to every bookstore in the world and in various different uh, other mediums. And so my book is available as a paperback on Amazon and as a hardback or hardcover on Ingram Spark. And it's in bookstores all over the place, you know, and if, if anyone wants to purchase it and it's not in your local bookstore, any bookstore in the United States can order this book through Ingram Spark. They're, they're a, a very reputable, very reliable book distributor. So, and I, once I just, once I had gone through that process and discovered those, those avenues for me, I just decided that that was what I was going to do. I didn't even try at that point to, to seek out a traditional publisher. And aren't we lucky that we have that opportunity to now independently publish and be indie authors and have full control of our creations from cover design to where we distribute it. And I love that you mentioned Ingram Spark because that is one of the beautiful things about Ingram Spark too, is that you can have a hard cover and it is available to libraries and bookstores through a bigger distribution arm. Uh, than Absolutely. just going the Amazon route. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, I'd like to, to give a huge shout out. If you're a author who's interested in, in publishing your own book, I think one of the most important things you have to find is a book designer. Mm -hmm. I, mean, not, I mean, there's probably one in a hundred authors who are capable of truly designing their own book and making it look you know, the way that uh, professional books need to look. And, mm -hmm. you know, I worked with a with a wonderful company out of Texas called TLC Book Design. And uh, I'm sure they're not the only company out there, but they did a great job. And the book would not be what it is without their help either. You just mentioned something that's so correct. When you independently publish, you have to take every measure to create the best possible product that you're going to put into the world. I mean, you've already met, mentioned professional editing. So the, the story was tight and it made sense and you, you found your illustrator, but you also had it professionally designed. So when you upload it to Ingram Spark and, or Amazon, when booksellers bring it in, it is as quality as anything else out there because you had to say, but you did all the right steps to get it to that place, right? Correct. I mean, I think that it's it's crucial, really crucial, that you work with a book designer that knows how to lay out a, a manuscript in so that it's going to look, you know, like the professional books you see in bookstores. I mean, like I said a minute ago, I don't think that one in a hundred authors are really capable of that. Even even if they have a graphic design background, it doesn't mean that they know how to lay out a book. It's a totally different process, you know. Did TLC provide you with the files? You you gave them the specifics of what you needed, so then you could upload it to, to Ingram and then KDP. There was a hardcover file for, mm -hmm. for Ingram Spark, and there was a paperback file for KDP. Mm -hmm. And they actually, in fact, even did the uploading. I just you know gave them the my account information and just let them do it because then I knew it was done right. I didn't have to think about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic because there is a learning curve with some of those things. So to find yeah. a company that, that can create exactly what you want, you can proof it, but then they take care of that part for you. 
that's that's pretty special. So so you found again not only the perfect illustrator to work with with a great opportunity for communication, but you also found a company that can design your book for you and take care of some of the back end stuff. I, I think that you know it's like anything else in life. I mean, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, and you can only be so, so good at so many things. And I know what my talents are and what my limitations are, and I'm very happy to let other people you know, take it from there. You just really hit the nail on the head again. It's like, you have to know where your limitations are. You know, you, it, you can't do it all because it's a lot to do. And I like to talk about the independent author curse sometimes as like this big wad of gum that you keep sticking like more <laughs> things to, and you keep learning how to do. And then suddenly so you have this giant ball of gum and you're like, Whoa, what did I just make? Right. Yeah, but yeah. to be able to like delegate things elsewhere, you know, you're like, okay, I have to focus on writing they can upload the files for me and handle that part, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. But you get to make that executive decision. That's the coolest part, you know, of, of yeah. owning your own work. So you can be like, I'm not going to figure that out. I'll pay those guys to do it. So I can <laughs> write the next <laughs> You know, I know a lot of people are interested in, in writing children's books and not everyone is an artist, right? So when you, when you do work with your illustrator, like how did you decide how it was going to go. Like, did you pay her up front for all the images and then put them in the book or do you do a royalty split with her? Like, so how did you decide on that, that partnership? Because this is a, this is an interesting part of being an author is having someone else join your creative work. It's like a collaboration. So you have to like determine up front how that's going to look. Right. There's, a, there's as many ways to work with an illustrator in terms of the financial end of things as there are in almost any other forms of, of contracts. In our case, ultimately, Hannah decided that she just really wanted to be paid for her work. Mm. And so we came up with a figure that uh, that felt uh, good to both of us. Mm. And uh, at least for this first book, that's the way we decided to go. Uh, as we may talk about later, I'm, I'm in the process of just starting to think through a, 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 a sequel to this book. Mm -hmm. And Hannah and I haven't spoken yet about how we're going to deal with with uh, that book in terms of illustrations. It may be a different. We may come up with a different you know, paradigm. But you know, there, there, there. Like I said, there's straight payment for for all rights to the art, and there's a. It, all the way down to there's only a single use you can only use it in one place mm -hmm. and everything else is going to be a royalty of whatever you decide it'll be it just depends on you know really mostly depends on how the illustrator wants to to deal with that because you know obviously if you, there's no royalty you're probably going to ask for a larger sum of money up front Mm -hmm. And if there is royalty, you'll probably accept a smaller amount of money up front. So mm -hmm. it depends on their situation and, and your situation, you know, so. Yeah. And thank you for addressing that. Just because you work with illustrators differently. You mentioned the sequel. You you went through something incredibly challenging. I'm talking to you from an Airbnb. And, and this has kind of inspired where you're taking the series and what's next for the book. But you had a magic moment with your book. There's something very tragic. And I just wanted to open the stage for you to share a little bit about about that and and how something difficult has sparked your creativity should i say well thank you for for opening the store I'd, I'd like to talk about it for for a minute i'm sure that some of your audience is aware that in the the autumn of last year of 2020 there were horrible fires in southern oregon mm -hmm. And the day that I received uh, the final ma manuscript of the book back from TLC Graphics, a version four publication, it was about nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, there was 
really horrible winds blowing uh, through our valley at that time. And I, I didn't really have a chance to really look at the manuscript carefully, but I just took a couple glances at it. It was just beautiful. I was so happy with it. And then the next thing I know, not only horrible winds, but there's a fire that started literally like a quarter of a mile from our house. And the fire was called the Almeida Fire. And uh, our home was the, actually the first house to burn in the Almeida Fire that eventually consumed 2,500 houses in Southern Oregon. And that morning, my daughter, uh, it's a farm where we live as a farm. And she comes over every day because she's a horse trainer and she trains her horses there. And, and so she was already there and we could just see the fire literally a quarter of a mile away and the wind was blowing like 60 miles an hour. And suddenly there was just hot spots everywhere around our barn, around the house, and there was flames. And so we were trying to fight this fire and the, for whatever reason, the fire department wasn't there yet. And we were trying to fight it by ourselves, but then the power company cut off the power because that's what they do when there's fires. And so when you live in a piece of rural property, your water system is a well. And so without power, we had no water. And so we had no real ability to fight this fire. Oh my goodness. And so at that point, it was really getting, I mean, the, 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 the wind was blowing smoke so thick you could hardly see. And so my daughter, and I, but really mostly her uh, at first, started to lead the horses. We, there were seven horses and four cows and a couple of goats and a miniature donkey, <laughs> quite a menagerie. Uh, she started to lead them up to the upper pasture, which was irrigated, and we thought they might be safe up there for a while. But then the fire got even worse, and we had to lead them up onto the road with the hope of you know, getting them in somewhere else. And we thought we had called some friends and we thought there was going to be horse trailers available to take these animals away. But all at that point, all the roads were blocked and the, they wouldn't let anybody through. And so my daughter took the, uh, the alpha horse uh, named Happy. He's a big Swedish warm blood, huge, powerful animal. And she took him by the, you know, with on a lead rope and started walking him down the road. And miraculously, all of the other horses followed Happy. And we got them far enough away around the, the bend, about a half mile away, where there was another farm that was kind of just out of the fire range. And they were all safe there for long enough that we could make some other plans. But she was really Wonder Woman. I mean, I mean, uh, I was trying to save what I could around the house. And uh, by the time we got all these horses out to the road, I ran back into the house and uh, was only able to grab a handful of photographs and the shirt on my back and everything else burned up in the fire. But, you know, out of the ashes of that has come something beautiful. I mean, there's come this book that's uh, the story of my daughter and her first pony. And uh, this year, uh, my plan is to write a sequel to the book, which is going to be called Anna and the Great Escape. And it will be not the exact true story. I don't want it to be too frightening for little kids to read because it was truly harrowing. But I do want to, you know, have it to be real enough that they could sense the danger and the and the and the importance of thinking on your feet mm. uh, in a crisis. And uh, it, it'll be the story of of how Duke and Anna save the other horses on the farm. Oh, I I just my heart you know we, we talked about this a little bit you know before we started recording the interview and just my heart just goes out to you for the loss of your home I think it's just so crazy like you got the proof you looked at the book and then this whole like crazy 
thing happened in your life. And, but, but the resiliency, the fact that you save the animals, you, you know, and you're rebuilding, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're, I mean, this is just so all so fresh, but there, there was also a story to tell through this whole thing and you and you embraced it. And now you're bringing a message to how to think on your feet when something does happen, because that's life, right? It throws you all sorts of insane curveballs. And it's like, what do you make with that, right? The other thing I want to just let your listeners realize is that out of this whole thing, I also am, am really filled with gratitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all survived. We lived through this thing. And um, you really kind of realize what's important. You know, I mean, all of those things that I lost. Yeah, there was many, many things that had special meaning and many mementos. But hopefully I'm young enough that I'll make more memories and there'll be other mementos to, to, to have. And that I'm just so blessed that we all managed to get through it, you know, and mm. that's what's really important. You know, I mean, all those things, you know, they're, they're things and, uh, you know, we'll get other things. Oh, my goodness. I, I just, Evan, thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, that's a that's a very close to the heart kind of story. And I just really appreciate you sharing what you went through and showing that creativity can still come even through tragedy, right? So absolutely. And often does. And really often does. You know? Yeah. You know, I imagine that this series is going to continue and continue and continue. But at the moment, how are you reaching your readers? We have presence on lots of different social media. We have a Facebook page, which is the Pony Press Book Company. And uh, uh, we are. Um, you know, we advertise on Amazon, we advertise on Facebook, we advertise on Pinterest. Uh, we um, also are, have a pretty good presence on Goodreads. Hmm. And one of the other things, you know, Goodreads is a really interesting platform for your other authors out there. I would highly recommend uh, spending some time on Goodreads because Goodreads is a place where people go to find out about books. Mm-hmm. And they have one particular thing that you can do on Goodreads, which is to do an author giveaway. And, you know, you, you know, t- you take 10 or 15 books or whatever you feel like you want to be- donate um, to the cause, so to speak. And they advertise the heck out of this on Goodreads. And it reaches thousands and thousands of people who are interested in books. And, you know, all you have to do is, is, is agree to, you know, it's a small fee, but then you agree to give whatever, like I said, if it's eight or 10 books, you give a signed copy. And then these people review your books and you generally get, I mean, obviously if the book isn't any good, you're not going to get a good review, but I mean, <laughs> I mean most people are somewhat generous, you know, <laughs> particularly if they've gotten a free book. But yeah. No, I mean, seriously, I mean, they help promote your book by mm-hmm. both saying that they're reading it and then uh, writing a review and that's been that's been very helpful. Obviously, got a, a website, and we do some promotion through the website as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and then, and that's the thing. It's like again, it's like the big gumball. Like you know, do these different things for marketing the book and get the word out there. I mean, like doing things like this podcast and Goodreads giveaways. You're you're correct. Like huge reach there. I mean, because it's not just on the app, but there's also emails that go out around it, and the people that are on Goodreads are readers and and people clamor for those giveaways i I know what you're talking about the other thing that you can do as an author is is, you know don't try to get a new york times book review (laughs) but you if you live in a relatively small community where there is a local paper 
Mm. You can oftentimes get the local paper to review your book and do a story about you. Mm -hmm. And then you can use that to build on other reviews and other avenues. I mean, it's the whole process is really what I like to call baby steps. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, when we're learning to walk as little kids, you know, we don't, we don't run to start with, you know, we fall down a bunch of times, but we get up and we trudge on, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like promoting your book. You, you just, you, every day you wake up and think, oh, what little baby step can I take to promote my book today? You know? <laughs> yes, I love what you're saying. That it That is the best way to approach it for sure. You know, it's just little baby step, little baby step, little baby step. Then you get the big gum wad, right? And you put yes. another piece of gum on it. But and I love that you mentioned your local media because I will say, Evan, when you reached out to me about the podcast, I was so impressed with the way you pitched me. A, you spelled my name right, which made me so happy. But then you also shared with me a little bit about yourself and you know, loving the author community. And you just you just really had a conversational email that you sent to me, but you linked to that story and your local paper that told me about you and what you've been through and your books and you know where you're going with your author career and I was moved right so I was like immediately wanted to get in touch with you and you just did it with such polish and you really did it well and I was very interested to know you and I mean look at the great conversation we're having but you but you came to me in a very polished professional way and you presented your author self to me in a way that I could like totally get behind you you know so that that's part of the Part of it right well you are being way too kind <laughs> <laughs> but i i do think you know that that it part about part about being a successful author is you know just simple things like you say mm. correct spelling mm. you know a little bit of humor never hurts you <laughs> yes. know um, you know and just you know trying to put your best face forward i mean and and i i learned that part of it also through hollywood because you know, just getting any door open in Hollywood, you basically, you know, have to practically kick it open, you know, but, you know, if you, if you just keep at it and, you know, you make a few friends and those friends bring you to other people and then so on and so on and so on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, by, it's about by doing right by people, you know, and building relationships and yes. just being a genuinely good human. Oh, I just love this conversation. I, I always like to ask these questions because it's a little bit different for every author. And I think there's a lot of value in learning in these questions for you, you know, particularly given your, given your background in Hollywood, but for you, what has been the most difficult thing about being an author? And then on the flip side of that, what's been the best part about it? Well, I think the most difficult part about being an author is just, you know, just getting started, you know, <laughs> and I think that I think it's I, I look at it like I look at exercise mm. in the sense that, you know, nobody wants to go to the gym really badly, you know, and nobody wants to get up early in the morning and sit at the computer and, and face the blank page. You know, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. But you just have to do it, mm. you know? I mean, it's like there has to be a no excuses policy. It's like, you know, I don't go to the gym anymore because of pandemic, pandemic but I still work out four or five days a week at home. Mm -hmm. And unless you're just too sick to get out of bed, you do it. And it's like with writing, unless you're too sick to, to get out of bed, you carve out whatever time of day works best for you. For me, it's first thing in the morning. I mean, I don't know if you remember there was a... a songwriter singer very successful 
named Lionel Richie back in the 1980s. Oh, I love him. A lot of great songs. And I remember listening to this interview with Lionel Richie, and they said, well, why do you, you know, write your songs at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. or whatever? And he said, well, God isn't quite as busy then, you know? And that's where the inspiration came from. And I, I took that, you know, thought to heart. And it's like, for me, when I first wake up in the morning, I am the most creative. I mean, granted, I need a cup of coffee. Okay, that, that's for sure. But after the cup of coffee, there's the phone's not ringing. I'm not worried about whatever else has happened in the day. No crisis has happened yet. Mm-hmm. And I just block off a couple of hours, you know, every day. And I sit down and I write. And that's what works for me. But it is, it's hard. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. Because you know that that's your writing time. and and even if nothing comes, mm-hmm. you're there if the creative spark hits you. If you're not there, you're off, you know, doing something else and you have no way to really receive it. Oh, brilliant. And what is the, the other part of that was what is the thing I enjoy the most? Mm-hmm. Well, with this book, I have to tell you, I've done a couple of, even in this pandemic situation we're in, I've done a couple of uh, live readings outdoors where there's lots of social distancing but I've done it with a couple of groups of children that are in pods, you know, that we have now with five or six kids and they, they have a teacher and just watching the way that the story actually touches the people it was written for. I mean, and they, you know, they come up afterwards and they want you to sign the book and they tell you little stories about their pony. And, and it just, you realize that like any other form of writing, I mean, if you tell an honest story well, it reaches people. Mm. And that's the best part of it to me. Oh, man, that is wonderful. And and that's the other thing about writing and art and creativity is like, it's, it's you and you're there with it while you're creating it. But then it's a gift to other people once you hit publish and you, and it, it's, you created something that never existed before. And then when words move, people who are sitting around listening to you share your your story i just that is the best the very best thing and then you know you you get these reviews on amazon or goodreads or wherever you're getting you know people responding to Mm -hmm. facebook and they they tell they tell you how it touched their children or in this case it's a children's book and how much they love it and it's like you realize that that you know, we are all humans and we share a certain human experience. And if you, like I said, if you write from an honest place and you, and you tell a story that had meaning to you and you tell it well, I would say that nine times out of 10, other people are going to respond to that because they were all built in a very similar way. Mm. Yeah. The art of storytelling. It's, it goes Mm. back I'm with the horse, right? You know, we're, yes. all, we're, we're connected through our stories and, and our shared human experience. And I just, I, I think you, you said that so eloquently. Here's the thing I wanted to ask you, what advice would you share with someone who is, who has a big dream, like really wants to write that book or maybe is later on in life and it has always loved horses, but, but has never put their foot in the stirrup. Like, or someone that wants to write a screenplay and go to Hollywood and face the rejection. Like, what do you, what, what besides don't give up? Because I got that message clearly earlier, but what advice would you say to that person? Well, again, it goes back to a couple of things that I've, that I've mentioned earlier, uh, which is number one, it's all about baby steps. Mm. Um, Don't, 
don't bite off more than you can chew right away. I mean, uh, uh, but I also, I mean, I think this last few years before all this fire stuff started happening, I have started a new hobby and that hobby is dancing. And my sister, unfortunately, died about 10 years ago, very young, and she was a great dancer. And so I decided to honor her that I would learn how to dance. And anytime you start something that you have never done before, you've got to be, A, willing to make a fool out of yourself, and B, give it some time to get good at it, mm. you know? And so I went to this local dance studio and diligently practiced, you know, uh, I went once a week and then I started going twice a week. And uh, pretty soon I would say, you know, within a year, I was actually not too bad. You know, people liked dancing with me and it was fun. And towards that, you know, there's, I don't know if you've ever heard the song. It was, it was a very big country hit, oh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, the song was, was called, I Hope You Dance. Oh. And it was written by Tia Sellers and Mark Sanders. And it was a big hit for a woman named Leanne Womack. And I'd just like to read someone else's words for a second and give them credit for how it affected my life and how it changed my life. And one of the verses says, I hope you never fear those mountains in the distance, never settle for the path of least resistance. Living might mean taking chances, but they're worth taking. Loving might be a mistake, but it's worth making. Don't let some hell-bent heart leave you bitter. When you come close to selling out, reconsider. Give the heavens above more than just a passing chance. When you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. And to all of those budding authors out there, I hope you write. Sit down in the morning and write. And I trust me, if you keep at it, for six months or a year, you will get better and your work will get better and you will reach people and they will make it all worthwhile for you. I'm like moved to tears right now. That was beautiful. What a beautiful tribute to your sister. What a beautiful tribute to yourself to go and like take something on. What a beautiful tribute to the songwriter of that song that you just shared this with us. And I'm like, moved because I chose that song to dance with my father to at my wedding. Oh my God. I just, oh my God. you just blew my lid literally up and you just blew my lid. And it was, that was so beautiful. I, I'm, I love that song. <laughs> and that's great advice for anybody looking for a dream. You're going to look like an idiot at first, you know, and you're going to stumble and you're going to fumble and you're going to have to educate yourself and it's all worth it. In the end. Yes, it's right. all worth it. It is. Evan, I know you've got a sequel on you, but what are you curious about? Where are you going? What's next for you? Well, interesting. You know, I'm. I mean, I'm curious, as you probably can tell from this conversation. I'm kind of curious about everything. I, I like <laughs> to. I think one should strive to live an examined life. I think that that's a, that's a goal that each of us can share. But you know, I've written screenplays i've written short stories i've written magazine articles and now i've written a children's book the thing i the thing i would also like to write because of my experience in hollywood which is you know where the story really isn't yours and i, I i'm going to write a novel uh, soon i don't know probably not this year i want to get the sequel to anna written first but it's called the ghost of rock and roll and it's kind of a story about the faustian bargain that a lot of us 
um, kind of make um, with with life. And uh, it's a story about a, a ghost of a classical musician that comes back to help a young aspiring rock and roll musician. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Right now. Oh my gosh, I'm goosebumps. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, I feel like I could talk to you for days. I, I just love that. We should all aspire to live an examined life. I love, I love that. This is a good place to ask you and tell you, I have so enjoyed our time together, Evan. Like you are just a pleasure to speak with and a joy. Where can listeners find more information about you and your lovely, lovely books? Uh, well, the best place is to go to the is to go to the website, which is uh, the Pony Press Book Company dot com. And uh, if you just Google that up, it'll take you there. We're pretty. I mean, we the search engines are finding us pretty easily these <laughs> days. So, check us out there on Facebook. It's the same thing, the Pony Press Book Company. And on Amazon, search for Anna and the Pink Pony. It'll take you to my author page. It'll take you to my Goodreads page. And uh, you know, just remember, if you remember anything, just remember the, the Pink Pony, even. And the, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> and I will absolutely make sure to link to all those places in your show notes. And, and Evan's provided me with some really cool pictures. And you, know, and you can check all this stuff out in his show notes. And Evan, thank you for the gift of your time and sharing all this amazing wisdom with us today. I so appreciate you. Carly, it has been just so my pleasure. You have been a great host. And I can't tell you how much it, how much fun it's been just to, to, to share this, all these stories with you and good luck in your writing career. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>